Well, I hope that uh, hope you've had a good week this week. It's been a, I find every week to be some new challenge, and I just am so grateful to the Lord. I tell you what, the, the biggest one, the big challenges. I know you're going to think this is real big. This isn't a big deal, but it is kind of a big deal to me. Um, every week, the last month, when I've gone over to help my dad take care of my dad, he has lost his TV remotes. Every week, he's got two TV remotes, and uh, he's—they're gone. I don't know where they are. That, you know, and I know—I know you think, how hard can it be? Just they stay by the TV, right? But my father, for some reason, he's always carrying them off someplace, and then he tells me he can't remember where he put them. And so sometimes when I go in there, the the TV is blaring really loud. He says, "I don't—I don't know how to turn it down. I don't have the remote." <laughs> so. So I just tell us, don't worry, Dad, I'll, I'll, I'll find it for you. You know, he's a good hider. He's good. He's really good. I've, I've found his hearing aids, uh, too. I mean, there's times, uh, boy, he's a good hider with those, too. But, uh, you know, I, I searched, and I'd search, and I'd search, and I'd examine. I'd go through every room, and I just couldn't find him. And then I thought to pray. And uh, I said, Lord, I just don't know. I mean, I'm running out of time. We've got things to do. I don't know where this is. And uh, uh, could you please help me? And I kid you not, I remember the first time I did it, because this has happened now four weeks in a row. <laughs> I got down on my hands and knees. I was looking, and I happened to look under a pile of books, and there was something right there. And I th- there it was, right there. The next week, I, I asked him again. I, I, I t- have not learned my lesson to pray quicker. <laughs> I looked and looked and couldn't find it and, and uh, I prayed and I found it again. This last Thursday they were missing again. And so, you know, I just, uh, I, I found one quickly, but the other one, uh, the crucial one with the volume, <laughs> uh, I couldn't find that one. And uh, I, so I prayed quicker and I had this idea. I wonder if maybe dad took it over to his other bedroom in but with my aunt at my aunt's house and then I just stopped thinking about it and I kept searching I never found it I couldn't find it and so then I thought after about I don't know probably 40 minutes or so I thought I don't know where it is so I went home and uh, found it in his bedroom upstairs in that something I thought boy I wish I would have listened sooner I could have just come over here and found it the point is I, I'm amazed how quickly God will answer us and help us when we call upon him. Sometimes it might take a little practice to learn how to trust him with such small things. Sometimes you think God doesn't care about TV remotes, you know. But I found out that he does because sometimes you get exasperated and you think, this is, this is really bothering me, Lord. What am I gonna, how am I going to get this? And you think, boy, if he cares about something as small as a little remote, then he cares about even the big things in my life. And that's what Jesus is trying to show us in the Lord's Prayer is that he is a father uh, to us. And, that, and as we, uh, that, that first essential to meaningful prayer is Jesus has t- told us to, that we should address God as father and that we focus upon the God, God's person, upon himself. That's where we begin. You'd think we'd start with our needs. That's where, you, that's where most people say, no, God, this is what I need, this is what I need. But Jesus said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't do that. Focus on God's person. Even you're tempted to just jump in to start asking for things, stop. And quiet yourself down and focus on God's person. You say, well, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. Well, see, this is a learning experience. It is a learning experience. And, and that's why it's good to read the Bible and, and learn who God is so that we can 
talk to him and tell him who he has revealed himself to be. A lot of times, uh, if you want your relationship to grow, even with that special someone who's your valentine, um, it takes some effort on your part to be able to uh, learn who they are and then to be able to express yourself and how much you appreciate who they are. That's how relationships grow. And uh, that's how our relationship grows with God as well. Then Jesus also taught us, he said also, not just God's person, but that's the second essential member is to focus on God's program. And uh, we'll talk, I just, I'll hit these again just real briefly uh, as we go, go on, but God's program or God's kingdom. And today I want to talk to you about Jesus. He talks about how the, the, an essential to me, meaningful prayer is to focus on our provisions, our needs, our needs. So our needs, we finally got down to our needs. <laughs> God's person, God's program, or his kingdom, then God's, then our, 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 our provisions, the things that we need. So we, we find this here in, in, uh, in Luke chapter, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. And if you read down here, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, and just as John taught his disciples... And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. So we, we worship you first. Your kingdom come, and then give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for also we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Father, I pray that as we look at this need, this issue of our provisions today, and praying for things that are, that, uh, are necessary in our life, I pray you help us to see that it matters to you that we ask you for help. It matters. Pray you'll help us to um, just begin developing an ever closer relationship with you as we see how much you care about even the smallest things in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I think, you know, there, when you stop and think about it, there are many sad and heartbreaking situations that we have to face in this world. The book of Revelation, I'm reminded repeatedly about um, when it talks about the seals and that talks about the, the, uh, the trumpets and the bowls in there, this, that this world is, is a place currently that is uh, always full of natural upset like earthquakes. You know, we just were reminded just what Turkey had this terrible earthquake that I just read this morning that now they're up to 28,000 people that have died and uh, they believe that number could very well double but in this world the Bible tells us there's going to be these horrible things that happen tornadoes and blizzards and drought and cultural chaos as well again those those three places where it talks about the seals and the trumpets and the bowls it describes these things taking place it's symbolically described educational and educational and philosophical disorder uh, wrecking people's lives think about how many people's lives are wrecked by going to some sort of liberal school that trains them to think anti-god and they're you know demonic philosophies that are being taught in these universities and and people's lives are wrecked by them uh, uh, government upheaval, economic strife, there's physical disease and all kinds of sickness. There's, there's all kinds of relational breakup and turmoil in the home and in marriage and in and, 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 and family and on and on and on. And again, the Bible tells us that these are indicators of God's judgment, of course, on a society or upon this world, this, this wicked world. It's part of God's judgment. But can I tell you something? I think that's the saddest dilemma, the saddest dilemma 
that any of us here could face this morning is this one. The inward and um, I guess the inward upheaval, the spiritual chaos um, of one's soul. And sometimes Christians are in a chaotic mess in their souls. There's a, when things are all messed up in here, I tell you, it's no wonder things are all messed up out there. You know what? And that's why this is one of the, this is one of the, the, the saddest places to have all this chaos. The, the scriptures point out, you know, that, that just as God brought order in Genesis chapter 1, as he brought order to the emptiness and to the deadness of the world in the beginning, when he and his light, he said, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and there was order that came to the world. The Apostle Paul says the same thing happens to us. That when we receive Christ in our heart, and when God's word flourishes in our heart, we are made brand new. It's like the world is made over inside of us, the Apostle Paul tells us. We're made brand new. The chaos is taken away. The, 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 uh, no, we're, we're set free. We're, we're no longer lost. We're, we're, we're found. And... Um, one aspect of that well-being is to know the primary and the only true reason you were born in the first place. And we've hinted at this before, but I want to just touch on it again. That have you ever asked yourself this question? Why am I here? Sometimes I think Christians need to stop and think some serious thoughts sometime and just not just not just rattle off, not just rattle off, you know, cliches about life, but to really stop and say, do you really know? why you are here. I mean, do you understand why you're here to the point that it really matters in your life? That it matters. That it's had such a, it's had a profound effect upon you that you know why you're here. You're not just here, you know, going through the, the, the you know, the, the phases of life, the seasons of life that we go through as we get older, you know, going from maybe one job to the other, maybe having a job, the same job all your life, and, and getting married, or maybe not getting married, or ha- having children, maybe not, but having grandbabies, whatever it is. I, do you realize it's more than that? That there, there's something more than that, that, I mean, that's all important, but... There's, there's a reason that you're here. There's a reason. And so many Christians don't stop and think about that. They just, you know, they just don't think about it. They, they don't, uh, and since they don't think about it, and since they, they, don't, they haven't answered that question, it hasn't affected their life. Their life, because it is a profound, it'll have a profound effect upon you when you discover that. The scriptures make it clear that no one ever has come into existence outside of the involvement of the author of life. No one has ever been brought into existence uh, and born by accident. Now, you might have been a surprise to your parents, you know, maybe they, they hadn't planned on you, but you know what, that's no big deal because as far as, as the scriptures go, uh, God has never been caught by surprise with someone's creation or someone's birth. No one has ever, that has ever happened to God. Um, no one really knows who said this, um, for sure. 
Some say Mark Twain said this, but he didn't. That's, that's wrong. Uh, as far as we can trace this, this phrase back, it's to a guy named Reverend Ernest Campbell uh, in a sermon back in 1970, and even he said that it was a common saying at that time. But this is the saying, that uh, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why. Boy, that is a really important question. Boy, to you, as a pastor, if I, if, if, if I knew that I could help someone discover that, boy, I tell you, that would just make my day. That they finally came to understand that the two most important days in their life is the day they were born and then the day they discovered why they were here. Why God created them. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, I know you might think, well, um, that's just a witty phrase, Pastor. Well, no, it's more than that. It really is. The bulk of the answer is, of course, to glorify God or to know God and to enjoy Him forever. The reason I'm here is to know God, to experience God, but also to enjoy Him. To enjoy Him. That's the purpose of man. That's the chief end of man, the Westminster Confession, of course. Now, that enjoying part is where the devil has deceived a lot of us, that he has conditioned people to think that God is not enjoyable. He's not an enjoyable at all. Just, just tolerable enough to, for us to uh, get into heaven. But the devil is a liar. God is the most enjoyable person you will ever be around. Ever. Listen to me. He is the most enjoyable person. When you get to know him, when you, when you uh, learn to love him, when you learn to surrender to him, he's the most enjoyable person that you'll ever be around. Yeah, he's, he's marvelous. I noticed a few weeks ago that I had a slow leaking left front tire on my truck. You know, I was looking, you know, you kind of check your tires once in a while. I thought, that tire looks low. So I, I checked it and I thought, well, it is low. It's down to about 25 pounds or so. And, and that's not a good thing. So I aired it up to where it was supposed to be. And, you know, 30, I usually keep about 34 in those trucks. And, and I noticed it went down again. So I kept airing it up because I didn't have time to look at it. I didn't have to mess with it. Ain't many of have been there. I just kept airing it up. And I thought, oh, I got to get that tire fixed, you know. And so, so um, I finally got tired of airing it up after about four weeks. <laughs> And so uh, I made time to check it. I made time to do it. And after removing the tire, I gave it a quick examination. And immediately, immediately, I saw the problem. I, I, I saw what the trouble was. It was that. It was right there. There was a drywall screw that was just fully embedded right in the middle of that tire. And how many of you know this? That drywall screw, that drywall screw is absolutely out of place in a tire. How many of you know, know that? The screws uh, and, and tires do not mix, you know. I mean, there are several items that, uh, that aren't out of place on a tire. There's dirt, there's grime, you know, there, there, there's sand, there's mud and muck and all that stuff. There's even gravel that gets stuck between the tread and that's okay. But let me tell you, when there is a nail or a screw embedded in your tire, that is out of place. That doesn't belong there. It's, it, uh, and it absolutely couldn't, re couldn't remain there. It's unwelcome. <laughs> Unless you want to keep airing up your tire every day, every day, you know. So you know what I did? I grabbed my pliers and I removed the dastardly foe. You know, 
the thing I kept, you know, because when you're driving back to Kokomo, it's a big worry on my head, you know, like, because that tire getting lower, what, whatever. And um, I removed that, that, that screw and prepared the tire's wound properly and then plugged that puncture, you know, and man, I checked it. It's still up. Doing good. Yeah. Yeah. So if you need a, if you need a tire fixed, call Pastor Tom. He knows how to do it really well. <laughs> I was driving along. I think I was on an errand doing something for, on my way to appointment or something. And uh, I was quietly thinking later about that whole repair process. And I believe the Lord spoke to my heart. It has to be something simple a lot of times for me to get, to get a message, to get an understanding. It was a, it was a simple thought. And, how I, and again, I need simple lessons. But that screw stood out like a blaring foreign object. I tell you, when I, when I rotated the tire, and Dave would know this because he fixes tires a lot, but as I looked at it, I knew right off the bat that that didn't, that didn't go there. That, it was right in the very middle, and it was embedded all the way, and I thought, I know, I've put a lot of screws in things, I know they don't go in tires, you know? So I, I knew right, where, uh, right, right away that was a foreign object and it didn't, didn't belong there. And uh, it was contrary, listen, to the purpose for which the tire was designed. The tire would never function correctly and, uh, quote-unquote, if you will, meaningfully, except that that screw be removed. And in a similar manner, loved ones, I want you to think about this. Meaningless prayer, frustrated prayer, ignorant prayer, dead prayer, will deflate your spiritual joy and effectiveness in your service for Jesus. It'll put the kibosh on growing intimate relationship with your Savior. You'll have trouble really enjoying God if you don't learn to pray. There I said it. You'll have trouble enjoying God if you don't learn to pray. If you don't learn to pray, it'll be, you'll God, you'll, you're not going to reject him or anything, but he just won't be all that enjoyable to you. It's just, there'll be something you don't know about him or, and then that you always question about him and then the devil will whip you around his little finger and tie you up a knot so, so many times. But once we know that for us to flourish... Uh, physically, we have to sometimes remove objects from, from our body. You know, you know, if you find out that all of a sudden you got a tumor or you got a polyp, a polyp of some type, that has to be removed if, you're gonna, if your body's going to flourish. If you got an abscessed tooth, if you got a splinter in your finger, you know that that's getting on my nerves and that's hurting. It's got to be removed. It's got to be taken care of. Um, uh, uh, again, ignorance and frustration with prayer is like a splinter. It's like a polyp in our spiritual life. They just lead to meaningless prayer to us and that eventually leads to a dead, inactive prayer life. Um, that kind of prayer existence for you is not what you were created for. You weren't created to experience prayer that, that way. God created you for a purpose to know Him and to enjoy intimate fellowship with Him and union with Him. And prayer is how that happens. It's just like the devil to make meaningful prayer seem unattainable and frustrating to God's people. A Christian, a, a, a Christian with, with a dead, unfulfilling prayer life is like a tire with a screw in it. <laughs> a meaningless prayer life, an unfulfilling prayer life 
is not what God designed you to be. You'll always be going flat spiritually if you don't learn how to pray. You'll always be going flat. You'll, you'll never know the true joy, the ongoing treasure of discovering the wonder of your Heavenly Father, of Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to help you and I, he wants to help me too to learn what we were created for. To know the ever-deepening joy of that union with Abba Father and discovering the wonder of his will for your life. Amen. We've been examining this, this pattern of prayer that Jesus talked about and this foundational teaching about prayer. Um, you know, uh, this, uh, the, the ability to call on God's name throughout the day. You might be thinking this. Let me just interject this. You might be thinking this. PD, you mean every time we pray, we have to move our way through this pattern? No, you don't have to do it every time. You know, um, that, wouldn't, that, that doesn't make sense to have to do that. You know, um, to have, every time you stop to pray to go through Jesus' pattern, uh, you know, you, you want to practice this pattern, you know, on a regular basis though so that your heart's always prepared you're always in that that faith connection with with God let me give you an example it's kind of like training for a vocation um, let's say let's say you're you know you're a seamstress any qualified seamstress has practiced and learned the basics of how to use a needle and thread, of how to use a sewing machine, what stitch is required for what task, you know, et cetera, et cetera. A seamstress has practiced over and over and over and knows these specific functions of sewing and altering and that. Does she use them every day for every situation? Of course not. She knows how to do it, but she doesn't do it every day, you know. Uh, a serious basketball player, you know, someone who really likes basketball, they have to practice shooting and dribbling and running and guarding over and over again until it becomes second nature to them. But do they, do they, do they uh, go through those basics, you know, you know, three or four times a day when they pray, or I, I should say when they're playing basketball? Do they use every technique every time they're on the court? No, but they know how. The point I'm trying, trying, trying to say is that we should learn these basics. We should practice them on a regular basis. Um, I, a, good, a good target is to try to do them daily. But that doesn't mean that every time you pray throughout the day that you have to go through these, all these patterns. But you should know how to do it. That's the way it is with prayer. Every time a friend asks you to pray for them doesn't you know, again mean you have to go through this particular pattern that Jesus gave us. But we just need to open our hearts and let the Holy Spirit guide us. Let me just refresh our memories real quickly here. First of all, we talked about how Jesus, well, Jesus uh, shared that we should address God as Father, as an intimate Father, as Abba Father, and uh, indicating that there is a, um, we have this privilege of a familiarity with God, not a silliness, but a reverent one, and that indicated in that is that we trust Him and we obey Him. It's you, if you don't, if you aren't obedient, if you don't trust him, then really he's not your intimate father, is what the meaning of, of, that, of that word Abba indicates. We, um, we saw how Jesus said, uh, 
Father, holy be your name. So we begin there worshiping God. Uh, that's the foundational focus, first of all, to focus on God's person. Second, we talked about how that uh, to tend to divine business. You know, Jesus taught us to, uh, to learn to address God as Father, but also taught us to focus on God's program. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we open our hearts and uh, give attention to the rule of God uh, in history. History is his story. We, we pray that he will bring an end to the injustice that's going on in this world. That, uh, you know, we pray that he'll bring an end to the wickedness. You know, we realize sin cannot go on and on and on. We should never get used to it. When Jesus first came, he announced that the kingdom of God was coming. And I tell you, the Israelites were so happy about that until they finally heard him preaching about it and then they didn't like it. They had been raised all their life to think that when the Messiah comes, he's going to restore the kingdom of God to Israel. And Israel is going to be a prominent nation again and is going to overcome the Romans. And even the disciples, they, were, they misunderstood him. And John records this at the feeding of the 5,000, how that they were ticked off at Jesus. Those 12 disciples, they said, listen, we've been raised all of our life. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. But they had been raised all their life. And Mark records this, that when the kingdom comes, it's supposed to restore Israel to a prominent place in the world. And Jesus saying, no, no, no. The kingdom comes to your heart. That's what the kingdom's about. Restoring where God's rule comes into your life and defeats the power of sin. That everyone is bound by sin. And that people can't obey God. They can't love God because sin has them in bondage. And the kingdom comes and sets them free from the power of the devil and the power of sin. And thank goodness on that, you know, when they got, the disciples got mad at Jesus, he put him in the boat and sent him across the, the Sea of Galilee. You remember that? And they're out there rowing against the storm and they're, you know, they're frustrated and Jesus comes walking out past them on the water. And his Bible says he's going to walk on past them. But they called out to him. They said, Jesus! <laughs> And he turned and he, thank goodness, and Peter says, let me come to you. Well, you know, you know the story. But how that, that they, had to, they, had to, they had to succumb, they had to change their opinion, their, their minds about how the kingdom of God comes. And so as we think about the kingdom of God, praying the kingdom of God to, to come, we mean this, God, allow your authority, allow your rulership, your holiness, your righteousness to rule in my life and in all the little kingdoms of my life. And not just that, Lord, but also in this nation. Lord, how are you speaking to Turkey right now? Lord, bring your kingdom through your people to witness Jesus to hurting people in Turkey. Bring your kingdom to Turkey. Bring your kingdom to Indiana. To Ind bring your kingdom to the Super Bowl. You know how much wickedness is going on there tonight? Oh my goodness. Should have prayed that for the Grammy Awards last week. As they praise Satan. Satan won an award last week. In the Grammys. I never watched it. I just found out this week about it. But um, that's what Jesus said. He said we, we pray. You know. Um, you know we, we pray that God's rule. Would, would come. Uh, to our life more and more. That's what he said to do. Let's, let's close, or I, I should say, let's, let's look at this, 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 third, this third, uh, uh, provision or this third, third essential that, uh, Jesus is teaching us today that now we should attend to family supplies. Give us each day our daily bread. Looking upon our own provisions, 
Jesus informs us that we can ask God for our provisions. He's talking about the basic necessities of life, you know. Um, If Jesus had been speaking to some Native Americans, he would have said, give us this day our corn maize. If he'd been talking to some Asians, he would have been, he would have said it this way, give us this day our rice. You know, so he's talking to Hebrews, so bread was a basic staple uh, of their diet. So he said, give us this day our daily bread. So he's talking about our basic needs. Lord, give us our basic needs. Now this is interesting here. Um, scholars point out that the word that is used for daily is only used in the Bible this one place and it's in connection with this with prayer and outside the Bible this word is never found in any classic Greek literature so this word is really unique it's only in the Bible this one place this word daily bread it's only here this one this one place and uh, and scholars kind of had to guess at it like what does it mean and they, they guessed correctly they got it right the word means daily but um, they didn't understand it exactly until many decades ago. Some archaeologists discovered during a dig over there in, um, uh, in Israel, they, they found a piece of pottery, and it had a woman's, uh, it had a woman's uh, grocery list on the pottery. And it had various items that she was going to pick up that day. And next to some items, it had this word, Daily. And it was the items that were perishable. Perishable. It was perishable items. That was where this word daily was, was uh, written down next to the, next to the item. And, um, and it meant this. It meant enough for the day. So it might have been bread. And you had this word daily next to it. And it meant I'm going to get enough bread for the day. Not for tomorrow, but for today. You can maybe put it that, that way, you know, for other perishable items. It's hard for us to relate to this because we have refrigerators and freezers and things don't perish as quickly as they would in Jesus' day in that climate. But a lot of times people had to get their food daily because it perished. And they didn't, didn't, didn't you know, didn't, it, it rotted quickly. And so Jesus said we need to pray that God would supply our needs daily. So as you pray this prayer, you're praying that God will supply our needs today as we serve Him, as we serve His kingdom, and as we honor His name. We're praying, God, you know, we supply my needs today. It's hard for us to begin thinking that way, begin because usually we go buy a whole week's worth of groceries and we have them all stocked up in the, in the refrigerator or in the, or in the pantry, and there's lots of preservatives in that bread, and there's lots of preservatives and things, and they're not going to rot like they, like they used to. But the principle is still there. It's still there the same, that most of the world apparently still lives this way, I mean, we're, we're unique. The Western world's unique. We've, we've, got, we've got a lot of, a lot of these privileges where we don't have to worry about rotting food that much or moldy food that much. But the principle is still the same. We're saying that, you know, Jesus, we realize that you're the God, uh, Father, you're, you're the supplier of our basic needs. You're the one who gives us the strength we need. You're the one who supplies our physical and emotional well-being. We shouldn't ask him for enough for a week or a month or a year. 
That's not what is emphasized here. God wants to be in connection with us daily. That's the principle. That when we think about our needs, may God, you're the reason I have food today. You're the reason I have pleasures today. You're the reason why I can go to the, fri- the, fri- the, uh, the, the freezer and get this pizza and put it in the oven and have supper tonight. You know? And with me, I could do that a lot. And thank goodness I got a wife who doesn't let me eat that way. You know? You see, are you getting the point? Is that we, sh- we start to think that, oh, it's just food. It's just stuff that we bought. You know? It's just things that we bought. Oh, yeah, we got, we got, you know, we got pop. We got, you know, we got, we got plenty of milk. We got plenty of everything. And um, we, we forget who the provider is. That, I mean, we've had a few empty shelves, haven't we? And we know that sometimes things aren't always available. And it's not always easy to get now with the way the economy's been. But the point Jesus is trying to make is that God is the provider for our lives daily. Daily. And that when you miss that point, you're missing an intimate part of your relationship with God. Because whether you acknowledge it or not, it's still true that He's, he's the giver. And He supplies our needs daily. Amen. Let me close with this thought for you. There's something that else is implied here with this. There's a, it means that there's an implication here that if we have more than enough, then quickly be willing to share it with someone who doesn't have any because it's perishable and it's not going to last. So if you've eaten your fill, you know, don't hold, don't hold on to it because it's not going to last. It's going to perish today. So if you know someone who needs something, give, give some to them. My uncle used to be the director of a rescue mission in Kokomo for 18 years. And I remember him telling me one time that, that they would on a regular basis get a lot of perishable items. You know, Kroger would give them, you know, you know 100 loaves of bread or, you know, just all kinds of stuff, stuff like that. Stuff that wasn't going to last. I mean, they had to get rid of it quickly. So they had to be, always be willing. He said, I can't have the attitude that I'm going to hoard this stuff. I have, to, I have the attitude, I'm not a reservoir, I'm a river. I'm a river, David, that when God brings me things that are perishable, I'm going to let them flow right back out to people who need them. And I thought, that's right. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. It's it's not that it's wrong to have two loaves of bread in your refrigerator. What's wrong is if you know someone who doesn't have a loaf and you're going to keep hold on to your two. You know what I mean? Because someone else needs a loaf and they can't maybe afford a loaf. And it's not wrong to have, you know, you know, 20 pounds of hamburger in the freezer. That's not wrong. But what if you know somebody who's been, who needs 20, or who needs some hamburger? I mean, not, God's not asking you to give it all to him, but to share what he's given you. You've got more than enough, so share your perishable item with someone who needs it. Now, of course, we know there's all kinds of entitlement mentalities today and we've got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But the point is that we can't have that selfish mentality of hoarding stuff because God's the provider. He's the provider. And we pray, Lord, give us this day, our daily today, with the strength we need today, give it to us today. Amen.
you know, it wouldn't hurt any of us to practice this fundamental, you know, point. Realizing all things come from Him. Even the leftovers that we've been eating all week. <laughs> Amen. Father, as we leave today, we thank you so very much for being not only our Father, and also bringing your kingdom to our hearts and allowing us this wonderful privilege of knowing your power, knowing your truth, and then the wonderful opportunity to, to pray that you would bring that same kingdom to our families, to our sons, to our daughters, to bring that same kingdom to our neighbors who, who are in distress or to even to our nation, to our our world to certain nations and we have this wonderful privilege of realizing you're the provider for our needs this day you're the one who gives us breath today Lord we just need breath for today you will take care of tomorrow and then the day after that but today is what we need you're the provider for us Lord for the food we need today Lord at any time we could we could lose our ability to get food so we thank you. We acknowledge that you're the giver. You're the, you're the one who enables us to get it. We pray that, Father, in understanding this, in understanding this, that you are the provider for us of our daily needs, that will cause us to find you even more wonderful and enjoyable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up together. And... Uh, if you appreciate the Lord, say a big amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Thank you so much for your kind attention.